the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings nearly 40 years of experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. If you haven't heard the show before, hey, welcome aboard. If you had, you know the show's in a couple of different parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court. In today's world, it's very important to avoid going through court, to avoid going through probate. And as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion, or whatever. But right now, we're going to welcome a new member of Connors and Sullivan to the show, Wei Young. Welcome. Hi. Uh, my name is Wei Jung. Uh, Jung. I'm from China. I came to the States in 2007. I lived in Brooklyn now with my family member, and I speak Mandarin, Cantonese, and English. I graduated from Pace Law School in 2021 and uh, passed the July 2021 bar exam. I'm still waiting for my admission to be um, reviewed, and I'm waiting for my admission date. Okay, now where where did you grow up? I grew up in northern northern part of China. It's a city called Dalian. It's a coastal city. Okay, um, why did you come to the United States? to pursue a better education mainly because my parents originally from a very uh, rural area in China they sent me to Dalian so I can get uh, better education there they have better educational resources and I actually went to an international high school which I received education under Canadian education board so it's a, it's a bilingual school okay so when you say a uh, Canadian international school what is what, who runs it uh it's a it's a canadian person but it's, I, I think he's original from china too so he founded this school he hired a teacher from uh, canada who teaches us um uh, Can what's canadian high school learned and we also have chinese 
teacher, school teachers, what uh, a regular Chinese school taught about. So when we graduate, we received both diplomas. We received a diploma from uh, Canadian high school, which is uh, under British Columbia province. And we also received a diploma from a regular Chinese high school. Okay, and where where did you go to undergraduate college? Oh, I went to a small college in Ireland first, then I transferred to Baruch College to study accounting. Okay, and why did you decide to go to law school? I always want to go to law school since I was a kid, uh, because um, we like my family member loved to watch uh, some uh, TV shows and dramas regarding. Um, it's all about legal issues. So uh, I have that mind since I was very little. And after I came here, I know that law school is not an easy thing, but I still made it. All right. Now, do you have a question today that uh, we got emailed in? Oh, sure. Yes. I have a question that says, see if I'm on a disability I will, and will soon get some money from an aunt who passed away. My neighbor said, I will have to give this money to the state. Is this true? Well, the the short answer is no. A lot depends on what kind of disability the person is on. If they're on what we call SSI, where the person basically, and I'm simplifying it, didn't work for 10 years. There are other exceptions. But if the person didn't work and you're on SSI, if you when you accept the money, you have to get off SSI for a period of three years ordinarily. Now, a lot of times people don't understand this. You know, sometimes people work a series of years and maybe they collect $700 a month in Social Security and they collect $150 a month, let's say, in SSI. Um, they might have to just give away the $150 in SSI for three years. And, you know, it's relatively painful if they're uh, painless if they're, you know, receiving a lot of money. And they can still get on, there are ways to still keep and get on Medicaid in New York depending on the circumstances, if you need to. So they don't lose the necessarily their medical benefits. Now, if the person collects Social Security disability, in other words, they work for a period of time, or maybe in some cases they receive the disability through their parents' work benefits, well, in that case, they really don't have to do anything as far as, you know, none of the money goes back anywhere. It doesn't, you still keep all your benefits. And it's important to know, you know, and I know a lot of people get confused because some people get SSD, some people get SSI, some people get a combination of both. And to give the right advice, we need to know, um, need to know exactly what you're collecting. Now, if you're collecting more than a thousand dollars a month, ordinarily you're collecting Social Security disability. If it's less than that, let's say somebody had a low-level minimum wage job for a number of years. They might be collecting both Social Security Disability and SSI. If somebody never worked, they're probably collecting SSI. So in that case, you may have to make a choice whether you want to get off SSI or accept the money. And there are other things we can do in, in some cases. But, you know, the big thing is get the right advice. But if, if you're collecting SSD, you really don't have to do anything. If you're on Medicaid, you may have to make some decisions whether you want to get back on Medicaid which a lot of people who are on Social Security disability, whether they're on Medicaid or whether they're whether they're on SSI or SSD, they may be on Medicaid. You got to make some decisions whether you stay or get on, and but you don't have to pay the money back. That's not in the cards. And if you have any questions about that, you're in that type of situation. 
You can always give us a call at Connors and Sullivan at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. We don't charge for the initial consultation. The first consultation is free. And everything we do as far as estate planning and elder laws on a flat fee basis. We don't charge by the hour. We charge by the job. And again, the first consultation is free. And then we go from there. And, and I'll give you my recommendations based on what you tell me. And, you know, I've been doing this a few years right now, so usually I can come up with a plan for you that I hope fits your expectations, and then we go from there. And if you want to go ahead, you know exactly how much it would cost, and you can go from there. Um, now, wait, you lived in Queens for a little while, right? Yes. Where'd you live in Queens? Uh, I lived in Forest Hills. Forest Hills, which, you know, at least we have an office in Middle Village, which is not too far from yeah. Forest Hills. It's the next neighborhood over on Metropolitan Avenue. And why did you decide to live in Forest Hills or how, why? Uh, it's at that time when I, I lived in there for two or three years when I transferred from college in Long Island to uh, Burke College in the city. So I decided to live with my old roommate, which we got along really well. So we both looked for different apartments. And that one was just um, the right time, right place. It's subways close by, and uh, it's a nice neighborhood. Okay. And where are you living now? Uh, I live in uh, Bath Beach in Brooklyn. Okay. So welcome to Brooklyn. Yeah, All I right. lived in Brooklyn long enough. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you know, welcome to, welcome to Ask the Lawyer. Welcome to Connors and Sullivan. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it harder to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A home equity conversion mortgage may be the answer for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Give me a call so our team here at Contour Mortgage can show you how the loan program works and how much you and your family may qualify for. My job is to help you find the best solution for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this mortgage program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-954-7463. Once again, that's 888-954-7463, and you could be on your way to a better retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591, Contour Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 34384, 990 Stewart Avenue, Suite 660, Garden City, New York, 11530, Licensed Mortgage Banker, New York State Department of Financial Services. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? 
These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, there are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, right now, I'm very pleased to have an old friend of the show, a frequent guest, Lieutenant Colonel Tim Wilson from the London Center for Policy Research. And, you know, Colonel Wilson, I I know in, in your past you spent some time in Finland, and I just got to ask you the question, what do you think about Finland joining NATO? I think that they will be a real plus to NATO, Mike. It's good, good to be on the show, by the way. Thanks, okay. Thanks for calling Always on. good to have you. Um, um, no, they, I, I was so impressed as a professional soldier going to work and train with the Finnish military for a while. Um, they are astonishingly good, particularly at Arctic warfare, but general warfare too and they have significant capabilities and are going to be a a wonderful addition to nato in helping to secure the northern flank now you know i think most of us are very few of us have any idea what the finnish military is like now i mean a little bit of history you might just explain to to the audience the role of the Finns in world war ii um, they are a, a fascinating, very independent-minded people who resisted um, against Soviet invasion under Joe Stalin and then resisted German invasion when they tried to use them. Um, and the bottom line is that although there were um, Finns who were incorporated in, by both the Soviets and by the Germans, Neither of the, those was actually big contingents. They were very notional, and the Finns remained independent and terrified the heck out of anybody that came through their, their country. How were they able to, to maintain their independence during World War II? It's just, to me, you know, an amazing story. 
Um, basic, well, basically, there, there's two elements to it. One is that their, their military was actually very professional in what they did and understood logistics. So they had small supply depots all over the place and fought a, a, a mobile war at a time when fighting through cold conditions in particular during the winter, they were astonishingly effective because they would get on their skis and their snowshoes and, and go 50 or 100 miles in a couple of days where the Germans, you know, at the same time couldn't really move much more than 10 or 15 miles. They knew the country really well. And during the summer, Finland is a very, very wet country. It is a land of lakes. Um, and again, if you know the area and you know what you're doing, you know which paths will actually take you somewhere and which ones are dead ends, they were able to trap um, the Germans during a, a summer campaign in 1942. They were able to trap them, um, you know, into going into these bogs, boggy areas, which are also filled with some of the largest... Mo uh, Canadian mosquitoes are famous for being big and fierce, all I can say is I think Finnish mosquitoes in the summer are worse. <laughs> they are a great bunch, though. They really are. And, and you know, today the, their military is incredibly professional, incredibly fit, very well trained, very well equipped. They snipe as well as anybody in the world. They are world-class shooters, especially at long-distance shooting. And and they party hard. <laughs> Yeah, well, we used to in in the forties here in Brooklyn. There, there used to be a Finnish neighborhood. I don't think there, are too many old Finns left. But uh, there, there were stories about butting heads and getting drunk on Friday and Saturday nights. And I, you know, my wife never believed the story about butting heads on on Friday nights. But then it was verified by one too many people. I think. I, I was... think they might be related to woodpeckers. <laughs> <laughs> But why now? Now the Finns have been a neutral country. Why have they invested in their military over the years? Um, because they because they are people who truly understand. Um, how shall I put it? They're envious of the Second Amendment, but they actually already sort of have it. There are a lot of privately owned firearms in Finland. Um, they take great pride in their hunting abilities and uh, you know living with nature. As I say, it's it's a it's quite a it's a big country with a lot of lakes and a lot of forest. Um, their cities are relatively small, um, and they they go out and they will hike for twenty twenty five miles a day for several days at a time, just just for fun, both summer and winter. Now, how how long is the border between Finland and, and the and Russia? I was going to say. I think it's about seven hundred miles. That's just off the top of my head. I'd, I'd actually have to look. And what is that border um, like? Um, well, it's it's got a... Um, it's changed. So what it's like now, I'm not sure. But back in the 80s, when I was working with them, it had a fence. It had uh, a cleared area on the Soviet side. And it was that, that clear area and the border was very much, you could tell, designed just to limit access. They weren't frightened of the Finns, the Russians, the Soviets were not frightened of the Finns invading so much as they were of um, people crossing illegally and uncon in an uncontrolled way. Um, and they put in stuff that really actually pissed the Finns off because a lot of the northern Finns are elapsed. They are uh, a rel relatives of the Inuit. 
and they like to go where the, the reindeer migrate, which includes across, you know, into Russia. And they actually are herdsmen who look after these herds. What they didn't want to do was turn them loose to go into Russia, you know, for six months without anybody keeping an eye on them. So they, they learned to get round, shall we say, the, the border. Um, and that used to drive the Soviet authorities nuts. And they, uh, the Finns, with their wicked sense of humor, enjoyed doing it and continue, you know, <laughs> develop these skills and continue them to this day. So let me ask you this. Why do you think Finland wants to be in NATO? They're not afraid of offending the Russians? I think they, I think they, what, the primary reason, in my estimation, is that Putin's actions in Ukraine have scared the living daylight out of them in that he's, he wants to expand. He's visibly planning his new Russian empire. And they are taking that seriously and saying, yes, we could resist. We could cause him a lot of damage. But the lesson from Ukraine is one of uh, we'd be far better in NATO so that an attack on us is an attack on a much wider group. And and are the Finns really part of Western Europe? Yes, nowadays. Captain, emphatically from me, from what I know of them, and that is quite a lot of connection there. I'm actually, they made me an, an honorary member of their armed forces while I was there. Um, and I went back quite a few times. I still go when I can. Um, they are emphatically Western. Their, their youth has embraced all sorts of pop culture and uh, hip hop and you name it. And all I'll say to that is watching a drunk teenage Finn trying to do rap and hip hop is... <laughs> to me, at my age, painful. <laughs> you know, I was going to have this as a separate interview, but you started talking about, you know, the the right to bear arms and, you know, that they they believe in the right to self-defense or whatever. But, mm -hmm. you know, right now, obviously, the Second Amendment is under tremendous pressure. And, yeah. And I, I think I... Can you bring up the story of the guy in Indianapolis? Because I think this guy deserves a lot of credit. And he's a hero. You know, I was in the military. I practiced. In theory, I'm an expert with a 45, But I don't think I could hit 8 out of 10 shots into a moving target under pressure on my best day. For a, for a guy who um, the Good Samaritan involved in this um, from Bartholomew County, this young man is a real hero. Um, and without serious um, professional training... To respond as quickly as he did, within less than a minute, he had put 10 shots downrange into the bad guy, with eight of them hitting the bad guy, which ended the assault. Now, there were four dead. Uh, that includes the shooter. So three dead plus two others injured. But if, if, if the good guy had not um stop this attack it would have been far far worse the the shooter had hundreds of rounds with him and and, uh, and you know i understand that there was a, a sign there that you're in a no gun zone or whatever where the, the yep this, so if he followed the rules there'd be a it lot more dead food, people food, yeah it was the food court of a mall and a shopping mall and you know 
it's one of those places where everybody has been at some stage to a food court and a shopping mall, and you don't expect gunplay. Um, although, interestingly, I was in one in, DC, in uh, Pentagon City Mall where something similar happened. Um, that was gangbangers, though. Um, heaven knows what was truly in the mind of the, the guy that in the Greenwood Park Mall in Indianapolis. I cannot get my head around it. What I do know is this is a classic case of a good guy with a gun stopping a bad guy with a gun and saving lives while doing it. And if you look at the, the facts involved, what we're seeing now from FBI data is that um, there are more justifiable homicides by civilians than there are by police, which kind of indicates that there are civilians stopping more bad guys with guns than there are coming, uh, being stopped by police, which in its way indicates there's more crime stopped by civilians than by police. Not that our police aren't wonderful in the main, um, but they know, that I think the vast majority of police support um, armed, responsible citizens. And this guy is just a wonderful example of it. And we've seen others in the past. Another little fact just related to that um, is that, of course, the number of, uh, of murders committed by firearm are very, very narrowly focused into places. And you mentioned the fact that there was a sign saying this was a no-gun zone. Um, we have... Indeed, a lot of gun murders in this country, but 17% of them are in seven cities. Um, you know, um, Ch um, Chicago, Baltimore, New York, um, and places like that. In other words, the vast majority are actually limited of gun murders, are limited to a very few small geographic areas, and it is of, of utter re relevance that those places are all places with very strict gun control at the moment. Let me ask you something. Let's change the subject, Uvalde. Do you have any comments yeah. on that? I mean, and again, people wanted to go in there, but were stopped. But your comments? Several comments. Um, first of all, stopping... It's understandable in some way, some small way. So I will leap to the defense and say the vast majority of the police there were probably, or, or law, law enforcement there, were acting in good faith and what have you. But the first few guys in, um, who, who were repelled, if you like, by gunfire, um, I think that that changed their mindset. And you have this thing always where if there's an active shooter, he has the initiative until you take it away from him. Um, and I think what happened in this case is that, sadly, that initiative um, ended up causing, shall we say, a fear of own goal or, or a fear of casualties, good guy casualties, that spread so far that it delayed and even stopped some of those guys responding the, the way they probably would have done if, adrenaline had just been allowed to take over and they'd gone in. So it was a, a I mean, it's an awful tragedy. I think um, it is very sad that in particular things like the uh, border officer who was stopped from going, even though his wife was in the, in the room and ended up being killed, 
to stop him going in to rescue her. That's just, it's just appallingly bad judgment by a variety of people. And if he wanted to rush in and other people wanted to back him up, they should have been allowed to do so. Um, the other thing is that they had the gear to actually, um, you know, do the job, if you like, by the book much. Uh, and they still dithered and waited and delayed. Um, that part of it is almost unforgivable. And, it, I, I, you know, I have no conception of, of, you know, because I think most police officers would have the adrenaline to go in and try to help. Whether they're I'm outgunned sure right. or not. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, um, and I think if they'd known that the kids was some of the kids were still alive, they would have gone regardless. Somebody senior on the scene was issuing very strong restraint orders instead of saying, yes, there's enough of us, let's go. You know, let's put it like this. Leader, it was a failure for sure of leadership. And the type of leaders that I know would all have been leading the charge down that corridor and into those classrooms. Now, let, let me ask you something. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, in England, you don't have these mass shootings. And in England, you do have gun control laws. Shouldn't we have gun control laws in the U.S.? Um, those, the majority of the strict gun control laws were brought in because of mass shootings in England. In the last 48 hours, there have been two gun murders in London alone. It's not that London, that the U.K. does not have gun violence. It's that very little of it is reported if it's gang-related. There are guns around. They are available in, to, to the criminals. Criminals don't obey laws. What, this is the, the argument that the gun control lobby doesn't seem to understand. Criminals don't obey laws. You can introduce law. Murder is already against the law. It doesn't matter how you murder somebody. So taking away our Second Amendment rights from a very law-abiding community... Um, is just wrong. And especially in a much bigger country than Britain, where the police response time in Britain is actually quite quick. They have a system now where their own response units are only minutes away. But it's still a case of it is a truism that when seconds count, if somebody comes into your house, for example, the police are minutes away. Now, in this country where I live, out in, I actually live out in the country, my estimated average police law enforcement response time is in the order of 20 minutes. Am I supposed to wait until they arrive? Well, if it's a home invasion, that's not going to work. I'm going to be dead and they're going to be sweeping up the, uh, the, the aftermath. It's also very interesting that in America, criminals admit to being deterred by the presence of guns. Whereas in the UK, because of the lack of guns, they get an awful lot of home invasions, um, and it's something like three times as many. And the criminals actually say they like to have people in the house so they can grab their wallets and purses. Mm. So, yeah. And by the way, on the overall level of violence, there is more. you are more likely to be hit with a violent crime, murder, rape, um, arm, you know, uh, robbery with assault, that in England than you are in America. England really? is a more dangerous country than America. Yes, factually, the rate of violent crime in, in the UK is something like 20% higher than in the US. 
Well, you know, I, well, I, I do see all these British mysteries where somebody's killed somewhere in England every day of the week, apparently. But I didn't realize uh, that. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't quite believe it. <laughs> I, I don't think most of our police forces spend every week chasing down a, a strange murder. Um, there are certain villages that would be depopulated. If that <laughs> right. <was true. laughs> you know. um, let me, but... but what do you think is the solution? I think that we have to accept that, like world peace, a gun-free, violence-free society is a nice dream, not an unworthy goal, but we're not going to achieve it in the current social setting. There are bad people. There are a range of people. There are saints out in our society, and there are the devil out there. There are evil people. And a lot of evil people like to make their own lives more comfortable by bullying others, including by the use of violence and even murder. And if you look at the drug cartels, why are they doing it? It's all about money um, and power. And so I'm, I'm a fan of the Second Amendment, unabridged, unrestrained, the entire nine yards. We have people in this country who have their own private military aircraft. I love that. We have people who have the, we have people who have their own private tanks. I love that. And on guns, a lot of people, if you have not been to a range and in a controlled fashion, sent down a lot of rounds in a very short time, it's actually very good fun. And then the the satisfaction from hitting a target well accurately time after time is also incredibly satisfying and it 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 saddens me that so many of these people who knee-jerk object to guns do so without bothering to learn about them without bothering to be, to actually learn to fire one without bothering to actually learn the details of what's involved and hence you end up with what is probably my biggest complaint of all at the moment this whole business from um, our president and the current administration of wanting to ban assault weapons. There is, their definition of an assault weapon is not an assault weapon. Um, it is an attack on the semi-automatic rifle of choice of a lot of people. Why is it the rifle of choice of a lot of many millions of people? Because it's easy to use, accurate and effective and flexible. Um, and I think that you know, if people actually knew that, if they knew the difference, they would be much more like me in terms of I, li I live in an area where we have a fair amount of concealed carry around. I like having people carrying concealed around me. It gives me added security even when I'm out in, you know, if I'm out in the shops or going to the bank. There has not, just by the way, in the county in upstate New York where I live, there has not been a gun murder since 1911. When was the Sullivan Law passed, just out of? Uh, 1923, I think. Okay, all right. So, Well, let me ask you something. Sullivan Law, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> and, and obviously I'm going to ask you, but what do you think of the Supreme Court decision? Well, I'll start with the Supreme Court decision, which I think is finally, at last, hoorah. Um, I'm thrilled with it. And the Sullivan Law is a, is a terrible law, or any law restricting what... It's like a law to restrict the First Amendment or any other amendment. 
Uh, well, wait, 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 in the First <laughs> Amendment bollocks or something? Didn't I read that right? <laughs> yeah. Mm, okay. Um, what can I say? Not every, not every Brit is as enlightened as I am now that I'm an American. Hey, this is Beth. You know, I, my ancestors were here during the Revolution. We don't like those royals. I'm quite happy. Uh, um, uh, um, I'm, if you want to send Harry home, I'm fine with that. <laughs> All right, but you know, like the the Second Amendment was so. I mean, I think Joe Biden says it wasn't so you could buy a cannon, but my impression yes, is, was, was that you could. Yeah, absolutely. What do they What do they think private ship owners equipped their ships with in those days to stop pirates? Oh. All those cannons on board almost every ship. And to, bear in mind, America, right? It, you know, and then you've got one frigate. And then you've got three frigates. It, that, those weren't the only ships that we had. All of them were equipped by private owners with cannon. But where where does it come from that all of a sudden the Second Amendment began to protect hunting rights? And, and that's pretty much what the argument they're trying to make right now. They're trying every argument they possibly can and every contortion. Um, you know, the contortions that go on just sadden me and in some ways sicken me because if you, I'm sorry, I'm going to take it back to, if you look at the areas that have high gun murder rates, they're all gun control areas. Gun control doesn't work, and and there've been, we've we've now got the history of, in this country of state after state after state. We're now up to twenty six states that have gone to constitutional carry, i.e., concealed or open, no restriction. For thirty years, that movement has been progressing along. For thirty years, the gun control people have been predicting it would lead to slaughter on the streets, blood running in the gutters, and what have you. And it hasn't happened. Over the same period, the murder rate has dropped. Well, you know, I just got a, a mailing today from one of my local officials saying that he's going to protect me from the outrageous Supreme Court decision of. of allowing the public to bear arms. Okay, is he going to come and sit on your doorstep and also protect you from any criminal that tries to break in? I doubt if he would even know where my door is. <laughs> or care. And, yeah. Exactly. And and what's the odds that he he himself actually has some form of official protection, whether it be a bodyguard or a cop who keeps a special eye on him? So he's willing to have people around him carrying guns but he's not willing to carry one himself and doesn't want you to because he, why should you have the same protection as him or her? Where do you think this is going to go long run? Long run, um, I think that we are either going to get full constitutional carry across the country, which is what I would hope for, or we are going to see some rise of totalitarianism that um, they find some way that they think they can make it legal to start confiscating guns. And that will get very, very interesting. Let me ask you, how, do, By the how, way, how were guns confiscated in, in the United Kingdom? How did that start? Uh, it, was it was voluntary, sort of. Um, for example, I had a collection of uh, handguns. And I read the writing on the wall after 
um, the Dunblane school massacre, so I sold mine off. Um, it, it, I, most people are sensible enough to read the writing on the wall. Some people, of course, took their weapons and buried them in the back garden or the equivalent. Um, you know, in England, that's actually quite hard. Um, normally take them down to a, a, a remote garage and stack them in, on, in a box on, on a shelf. Um, they are, as I said, criminals still have relatively easy access to guns in the UK and not expensive either. Um, it's actually cheaper to buy a handgun in the UK than it is in the US on the on the black market. Northern Ireland right now, what's it like, or what, what? how are things there? I know you spent time in Ireland. Yeah, I love, I'm, what can I say, I'm, I'm hugely heartened by the, the more recent times in Ireland. Um, I'm delighted to see that the border is effectively gone, and the, there is free trade and free access between the North and the South, and very, very, very little violence. Um, it is currently warming up a bit, in part because the EU is involved, and the EU is involved because of um, money, um, where they want customs and tariffs and what have you on goods flowing between North and South Ireland. Um, I, I have great hope for the place. I think that the people were, by the by the late 80s, the people themselves were sick of the violence. Um, and helped enormously in calming it down, shall we say? All right. Now let, let's. You know, we we started well, in the introduction. London London Center for Policy Research. What is that? Okay, we are a, we are a very small think tank. Um, you can find our work at LondonCenter.org, and uh, we are a group of. Um, experts who, a number of retired military um, and a number of people from other walks of life who are just interested in, and strong supporters of the works of our founder, Dr. Herbert London, um, who sadly died three years ago, and trying to continue with the works that he had. Herb was a, um, an amazing man. And amongst his other many, many achievements, he was one of the real architects of the Abraham Accords for Peace in the Middle East. He always felt very strongly that it would come when the Israelis and the Arabs could actually be persuaded to work together. I think he was right on that. I think um, Herb asked me to come in and run our Second Amendment project because he believed so strongly in the Constitution. And we are all in the London Centre staunch constitutionalists. And, and you know, like I, I mean, it makes me sick. But you read an article once in a while where people are saying, "Well, why do we need the Constitution anymore?" I don't know what we would replace it with, but uh, you know, it's Let's an outdated like document. It. Old white guys did it, you know, two hundred fifty years ago. One of the biggest and most common mistakes um, that occur in modern times, especially amongst that elite that thinks it knows better, is to fix something that isn't broken. America is still the greatest nation on the planet. How did it get to be that way? 
thanks in large part to those geniuses, the founding fathers, and their documents that set up our construct, otherwise known as the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. I think that they were true geniuses. I think when it's allowed to work, the Constitution does work. I think it works extremely well. And for those that want to change it, my, my one comment would be, first, do no harm. Well said. Colonel Wilson, London Center for Policy Research, thank you for being on Connor's Corner again. Very much my pleasure. Good luck to everybody, and thank you for having me on, Mike. Thank you again. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. The Guild for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for. Because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, It's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, there are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. 
No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Welcome back to Ask Lori with me, Mike Connors, now accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hi, everybody. And my son, Michael. Hello, everyone. Thanks and for joining I, us. I, I, You know, again, he's from you know, the United Kingdom or whatever, but I really appreciate Tim Wilson's view of the world. You know, a, along with the, he spent time in Finland, he spent time in Northern Ireland. Uh, I think he spent time in Newfoundland, even. I'm not, could be wrong about that one. But, um, you know, we don't appreciate sometimes the, the rights we have under the Second Amendment. And it was there so that we can, you know, buy our frigates and outfit them with cannons and whatever. It wasn't there. We didn't have to rely on the government for self-protection. And I think, you know, and Tim Wilson is so logical. Gun control laws don't work because criminals don't follow laws. Bad guys always can get guns. You know, that's and, that's the whole thing. They go out on the street and who's got a gun and somebody's going to sell them a gun. And if you, you're going by the rules. You don't you don't do things like that and you don't you can't protect yourself. And, you know, I mean, I don't you know, I, I don't have a carry permit yet or anything like that. But um, I don't there. There's no time I'm out these days in the city where I feel safer than when I'm with a friend with a carry permit. That's, it's not, you know, it's not like, oh, he has a gun. It's like, oh, okay, good. We're, you know, we don't have to worry about things. All right. Well, you know, at the beginning of the show, we talked about our newest recruit who's passed the bar, not quite admitted yet, because it takes a little while to get your paperwork cleared from China to the U.S. You know, it takes a little while if you get your paperwork cleared for some European countries to the U.S., but Michael, you brought this up. Like, how many languages do we speak here? And if anybody has need of somebody to speak another language, uh, Michael, start with the list. I mean, we can go through it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, obviously, we speak English. That's uh, so. kind of a no-brainer. I mean, so you know, some people can't write English very well, but yeah. hey, hey. But English, Spanish, Italian, Greek, Russian, Ukrainian. Romanian. Now wait a minute. Your your mother was saying, "What about Russian and Ukrainian?" <laughs> uh, most of, everybody here who speaks Ukrainian speaks Russian, but there are Ukrainian speakers here, and we do have a number of people that speak Russian, even people who are not native Russians. Yana govoryo po angliski. Okay. So what was the next one after Russian and Ukrainian? Mandarin, Cantonese, Fujianese, Tagalog, and Hindi. What's Tagalog? Tagalog is from the Philippines. All right. So for those of you, Mel's been on the show more than a few times. Mel, you know, speaks Tagalog. Mel's also a lawyer admitted in the Philippines. So if you own real estate in the Philippines and the U.S., Mel's the guy to see. Because I can pretty much tell you what the law is in the U.S., but it's hard to know what the law is in the Philippines. And they got some crazy laws out there. 
in the it, Philippines. You could go to jail by breaking those laws in the Philippines, if not get shot. Depending and their on jail might control. not be very nice. Yes, I don't think jail in the Philippines is a nice place to be. All right, so after we got through Tagalog, what do we got left? After Tagalog, it was Hindi. Okay. That's pretty good for a small office. Yeah. You know, Bay Ridge. That's nice. And if you do want somebody, you know, if you, if, you know, like, if you do want somebody to speak another language, and I know a lot of people, they, they um, speak English relatively fluently, but sometimes it doesn't hurt to have somebody explain it again in your own language. And if you want to do that, you know, you can double check with us what language we speak, who speaks what. Um, you know, we are in a, you know, new world order, so to speak, as, as our State Department likes to say. But, again, there are people in New York from all over the world, and if you need one of those languages to, to help get the job done, to help your relatives do the right plan, please feel free to, to give us a call. And, again, we have offices in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, Staten Island. We do not charge for the initial consultation. The initial consultation is free. Everything we do as far as estate planning, elder laws, on a flat fee basis. We don't charge by the hour. We charge by the job on estate planning. So come in, we'll talk it over, give you an estimate, which is, if you see me, based on my experience, and I've been doing it more than a few years, and I can tell you how much, you know, it would take the job to go. So if you want, give us a call at Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Hope to see you next week at the same times and stations. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for letting us talk to you. Bye-bye. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors & Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.